the USL show, also known as The View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn, I'm sorry you were offended apology. The US military discussing what a Naruto run is for the Area 51 raid. I feel angry. Welcome, everybody, to the USL show. We have a live guest, or it was recorded live, rather, and it is Jeff Reuter of The Athletic, once again, checking in quarterly. Uh, I clipped a little bit of his audio, but you didn't miss anything, so I'm just going to cut right to it here. Biannual reviews. I have to do it twice. So so the quarterly review that you and I have set up on this podcast, <laughs> it's um, it keeps me honest. It keeps me on my toes a little bit, um, yeah. but that's okay. You know, it's, it's all part of the job, I guess, but no, it's all good. I love it. Yeah. Well, I enjoy it, especially. Uh, but yeah, quarterly, see it. I did that as a goal. I hope we talk at least four <laughs> times this year uh, because I enjoy it. So it seems fair. I mean, like every three months there is for whatever reason in American soccer, every three months, you're guaranteed to have something relatively oh, yeah. seismic worth talking about. So that's it seems like a pretty safe benchmark. Well, and at your pace of reporting, honestly, there's <laughs> Always plenty to talk about with just every uh, three months, you. I agree. So that's, um, that's what I want to start with today. Uh, you wrote an article that I'm basically calling the Valentine from Jeff Reuter to Phil Grooms because it is one of my favorite topics, topics to talk about in uh, lower league soccer. Why the U.S. lower division transfer market has stalled out is the name of the article on uh, The Athletic. And you better go look it up and read it if you haven't. Jeff, why don't you get us started? Let's just open the floodgates because I've got a, almost a whole page of notes here to talk about. Right, yeah, and this is a piece that if, if you've been following the USL for at least a year and a half now, you're probably like, well, wait a minute, he's written that piece already before, before this past month. And that's true. I think January 2020, I'd put out a piece about why there aren't more players specifically moving from the USL championship at that time to Major League Soccer. This one's a little more holistic because I think as... The USL, and to be fair, by the way, I think that this was necessary. As they started League One, as they had a little bit more control over the tiers of the pyramid in the middle section, the clubs that are establishing their presence in League One, plus the clubs in the championship that are looking for ways to improve their rosters and tap into the players who have played well in that third division League One, plus the clubs that then want to take young talent and ideally move them to Major League Soccer. There's a lot of different kind of conflicts of interest that are being established right now. Some of these are unavoidable, by the way. Mm -hmm. I think that especially if you look at uh, the League One clubs that are playing well, you don't want to necessarily get rid of your best players every single year. But right now, there's there's sort of that contention between being competitive in the short term and trying to be developmental to boost your financial status, because generally speaking in the USL or in American soccer in general, actually, one of the surest ways to guarantee revenue or profit is by selling players because then you're not at the risk of having fans, which obviously has not been the case for most clubs. And even for the clubs that have been having fans in 2020 weren't at a significant portion or at their full expectation. Um, economically, you need additional sources of revenue. Merchandise is obviously one part of this, but player sales tends to be much more lucrative than any Jersey that you can release in the middle of the summer. So it's, it's sort of a, just a look at, 
what is factoring into not just the, again, the lack of movement into major league soccer, but within the USL, how these deals are done, these deals, which involve actual tangible currency, not allocation money. So, so it's even harder to put a valuation on this player is worth this much. This player is worth that much and, and how the leagues right now are trying to go about establishing that transfer market. Yeah. And, and the, you got a lot of amazing quotes from uh, two awesome guys, Dan Egner in this article and um, Landon Donovan, really good quotes, but um, here's another one. Here's one where there Landon's talking about, um, Landon's talking about, sorry, my kid is trying to. Oh, you're okay. Do you want me to, if you have the quote here, I can read it. (laughs) We're just going to roll it, roll with it here because um, setting a baseline is is something that both guys have mentioned in this one. And here's a quote, with all due respect, I see MLS clubs paying transfer fees of 300,000 to a million dollars to clubs abroad. Um, I'm not here to tell you that there are league one players who are on par with some of those players, but the difference between a $5,000 player and a half a million dollar player in this example is not accurate. And he goes on for more math, but you know, he talks about one league one player was demanding uh, a club was demanding a hundred thousand dollars in the first ask and how that wasn't going to happen. And, um, but then, you know, four digit transfer fees is typical from league one to USL championship. So God, that's a huge mass difference and we have no baseline. We need to establish the market and have something that clubs, if they want to use this as a lifeline for revenue, figure out what the base is for that. And I think what's, what's interesting, some people, uh, it seems like still ask Landon Donovan how long he's been around soccer. So I just want to clarify that he has been in soccer for a very long time. Uh, longer, in fact, than just about any club in lower division soccer has been around. So I think that when you're looking at uh, sizing up the market, look, there's, there's always been a disparity. The American player at any league, at any level, tends to be cheaper than the Brazilian, the Argentine, the the Brit, the the Spaniard, right? Like some of these upper tier countries, the countries that tend to compete for World Cups or tend to produce the best players in the world, Ballon d'Or nominees, FIFA Best 11, those players will come at a premium and their compatriots, regardless of if they're at that level, will be worth more because there is a perceived higher market value for a player from, frankly, a sexier soccer nation. Mm-hmm. Conversely, what you also see then is that there are markets to exploit. Part of this is looking at, again, what are those countries that are often overlooked? The, you know, the, the Costa Rica's honestly most of CONCACAF, except for Mexico and the United States. Uh, South America, when you get beyond, well, I guess there's so few countries there, but when you're looking at like the Bolivias, the Venezuelas, the Ecuadors, there might be some opportunity there. Paraguay is kind of straddling that line. Europe, you can obviously see in the, the coefficient rankings which countries these would be. But when you then factor in difference in levels, difference in player ability, veteran status, it, it's so tricky to compare. So targeted allocation money players would be the players that require those 300000 to a million dollar transfer fees. And if you're looking at that player, that's usually a player who isn't playing for a, usually, I'm not talking about like plays Matweedy or anything, but these are usually players who are not, playing regularly for a first division club in one of the five major European leagues. These are usually a player who, if they're in those countries, might be either in a relegation zone club, they might be in the second division. Um, The point being, they're not necessarily like the player who's automatically, without a doubt, going to be better than what the domestic player pool has to offer. Uh, Anytime I see an MLS club use targeted allocation money on a goalkeeper, I 
I, I, I just immediately scratch my head on this and I'm wondering why, because that is the deepest player pool in mm-hmm. the United States. Why are you saying we need to spend $500,000 to get Kenneth Vermeer when you could sign Josh Cohen and, and see how he would do at that level, right? I mean, these players are, these goalkeepers are everywhere. Frankly, it is the best player pool top to bottom in the United States. Uh, when you then look at it to scale, again, a league without allocation money, a league without a salary cap, you aren't seeing the same outlays of transfer fees, but you are then seeing, okay, how much are we going to pay for this league one player right now? That tends to be about 4,000 to $10,000. That is the range. There've been five player sales to date from league one to the championship. The largest was Brian Silvestri when he went from Ford Madison to the Miami FC for $20,000. But again, that was a goalkeeper who had already started a dozen games in major league soccer and was not in his prime yet. Um, I mean, these are so these are like cyclical questions, right? Because then you're asking, okay, well, then are we supposed to inflate the value of these players because they're proven in our league, which is invaluable, to be fair, when you know that they won't be intimidated by the bus ride from Tulsa out to Kansas City. They won't be intimidated by, uh, you know, the climate changes, the, 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 the two like the changes in climate across the country, not climate change, which is a very real thing all over the world. When you're talking about. Um, uh, you know, the the two games a week, the, the the second division in the United States, everything that comes with that, the baseline standards that are close, hopefully, to being established in the first CBA, those sorts of questions. You know that player is going to be fine with that. You know that the player who spent a year with the Richmond Kickers, which is um, you know, like a good, competitive, developmentally friendly League One club, uh, you know that they're going to be able to translate at least that comfort level if they sign with, say, the Charlotte Independents, right? Mm-hmm. So that player should be more valuable because it's more likely to hit, but that's not how it's treated because I think that there's also how many other leagues are actually going to be looking at league one's player pool in scouting. You know, if you, if you're thinking like uh league MX is probably not scouting this too closely, even the expansion league, the second division that they established last year, Canadian premier league might be, but beyond that, it, it's really your market to control. And at that point, the championship clubs don't want it to get too pricey. <laughs> they don't want to mm-hmm. lose money on this either. So again, all of these different little conflicting factors that are very human, very understandable from a business perspective as well, frankly, but ultimately, and when I, when I look at this, I'm going to come at this as agnostic to the business side, right? I mean, it's not really something I worry about. I'm thinking about what's good for the sport. I'm thinking about what's good for these players' careers, their development, their opportunity, the growth of the game in the country. That's always going to be my central ethos when I'm looking at these sorts of things. And if you are holding back a third division player who had one good year from getting to the second division, which is a step up, right? This isn't... necessarily a life-changing move but it's working your way towards one and you're going to hold them back because you want a hundred thousand dollars for this player then at that point that player's career is going to suffer because you have this kind of fantasy evaluation that you want to be able to sell your fan base and that's a very difficult prospect uh, to try to wrestle with as you're working towards developing players yeah, a lot of things to wrestle with uh, because, you know, Landon had great quotes about the player's perspective about being held back and how he'd be pissed if someone did that to him. Um, but also, uh, we're talking about supply and demand as well. You mentioned uh, goalkeepers on TAM deals when, you know, there are goalkeepers everywhere. And so right. that's true on every level where you could find a local guy. Uh, he Landon mentioned a local 16-year-old San Diegan that he'd like to take a, a, a stab at rather than spending $80,000 or $50,000 or $20,000 to bring someone right. in if they're going to ask too much. So people, mm-hmm. again, developing baselines, This owners and GMs are pioneers right now trying to figure out 
what the value of a player is. And as mm-hmm. the league grows, hopefully that keeps going up. But, you know, it, it almost needs to be something they all work together for because you're talking about what you said, the ethos of the league, the development of United States soccer and the pyramid. Um, sometimes I think we need to kind of let go of winning, you know, like you were saying there, instead mm. of, and, and, and be willing to let your players move up and, and get something developed here and a standardization of some sort. Yeah. And, and what's interesting too, and, and Donovan talks about this a little bit where he says, you know, the, it doesn't matter what you think a house should be worth. Mm-hmm. If you're looking to move to San Diego, San Francisco, Chicago, right. And you see a house and you're like, Oh, that's a fine house. But the market tells you it's a million dollar house because that's mm-hmm. what housing goes for. And that it's a million dollar house. You don't get to dictate that. And so that's again, where these goalkeeper fees for like a 35 year old Dutchman, that's where those come into play is because that is the value for someone leaving the their visi. Um, likewise though, if, if you want to be able to say our player that we invested in, um, like I'm just going to make up a kid, right? Let's say that there's like a 16 year old who comes from union Omaha's Academy. Okay. And this, this, this 16 year old midfielder first half of the season, just kind of learning from J second half of the season forces his way into like a winger role. He's an inverted left winger. Okay. He does pretty well. He gets three goals four assists and 18 appearances has one goal in the playoffs. Looks pretty good. And he gets, interest from i mean pick a club i don't know we're just we're rolling at this point this kid doesn't <laughs> exist so uh this is football say, manager in our brains right now yes this is exactly <laughs> what i'm doing so let's say that kid goes to san antonio fc san antonio fc has proven to be that you see christian Pirano, you see jose gallegos you see leo torres you see some of these players say okay that'd be a good spot to put a young player so they sign him for fifteen thousand dollars Okay, straight up, and then they have like uh, 10% sell-on for Union mm-hmm. Omaha for this player's future move. That player then continues to develop, continues to play well. By 18, he's a 5-5 five and five kind of guy. He's working his way up to 5-8. and eight. He scores another couple goals in the championship playoffs. MLS comes looking at him. You won't get a fee less than that because you've already invested that, which implies that his baseline level has to be above, uh, what did I say, $15,000? Mm-hmm. Um, it has to be above that. So then that player is more valuable as a result of that. So now you can sell him for $100,000 plus the, uh, or more, frankly, probably $150,000 easy plus a sell-on percentage. So you also get a 10% cut of that. And then Union Omaha keeps some sort of cut as well as part of this negotiation. MLS then, this player, 19 years old, starts getting caps for the US U20s, right? Like you can you can envision this. That player ends up going and signing in Germany at age 20. Um, MLS team probably gets, you know, three, $4 million for him. Good portion of that goes back to San Antonio. Good portion of that goes back to Union Omaha. You control your own destiny by setting these prices because it also that's unless the player doesn't improve, that's not a depreciating investment. That's not a car. So at that sense, if you are good at your development side, you will increase the value of these players. That's a question of staffing, right? It's a, and I'm sure we'll yeah. get to that, which was part of the article, but um there are elements of this you can control. And if you are trying to limit the ceiling on this market, um, you are hurting yourself in the long run if your aim ultimately is to in turn make a sale. Absolutely. Uh, So two things there. I guess we'll start with this. Dan Agner uh, talked about how work ethic and how he was able to, in his role, sell uh, Stanley Akumu to IFL Sporg for... uh, record-breaking $200,000 uh, right. from from USL Championship. This is not an MLS uh, mm-hmm. contract. That's awesome. That's incredible. And he said it's because he was able to work hard at trying to find the right place to market his guy. 
to the right place for the right price um, while he was there. And if you have a guy who's a GM, who's also a coach, who is doing the business side and the player technical side, everything, mm-hmm. it's too much. You just can't focus on everything at once. Right. You do you do one in the off season, you do one in the, in the regular season. And so he mentioned how he was able to do that because of that. So this is a problem because people don't have time. Um, yeah, let's start with that. That's yeah. crazy. Well, and you can't necessarily assume that the coaches who aren't able to wear that dual role with a perfect 50 50 balance or bad at the jobs, because why with how much of put it another way, the, the mid season, the summer window isn't as important in the USL as it is in major league soccer, right? It just isn't, this isn't a league that necessarily halfway through the season is looking to make a deal. Anytime, like there would be a couple of trades where you would see like Louisville city sends this player to I'm trying to remember the club. There was one, like a player for player trade in the USL last year. And I was like, my mind was blown that yeah. that was something that clubs actually considered at this level. Uh, I think it was El Paso, North Carolina, but uh, beyond that, you're looking at uh, pretty static rosters once the season starts, because these coaches need to win games or they need to develop players or both. And at that point, they are completely focused on the players that they have. They have built their team in the offseason thinking this team will last me six months, seven months, eight months, depends how long the season goes for them. Uh, And at that point, I'll catch my breath. I'll change chairs and I will start scouting League One. I'll suddenly back watch all of these games to try to figure out if I want to send those players. Not interested. Okay, I'm going to watch all of Reno's games and St. Louis's games and see if I want anyone from their rosters. If I don't, then I'm going to go ahead and then I'm going to move on to players who are free agents, right, in the USL. Maybe I'll think of scouting uh, a couple of international leagues. Maybe I'm watching MLS as well and considering some of the guys who fall off of those rosters. But that's it. That's really all they have the time for. And that's understandable in every single way. The hard part is um, it doesn't have to be that way. (laughs) Like you, you really can invest it's not a ridiculous amount of money, but you can invest in a sporting director and you can continue to do that work. You can have someone like Egner was with Real Monarchs uh, speaking to these clubs abroad and say, Hey, we've got this player. He's going to be in the African cup of nations. Um, You should keep an eye on him. Just, just watch his club, watch his country, see how they do in the tournament. And if you like him, then hit me up and we'll, we'll see what we can do. Lay out that groundwork because the coach won't have time to do that. um, If that's fully on them. Yeah. Yeah, and, and maybe they can get creative in that way. Uh, a lot of mentions about scouting needing needing to get better and that scouting will lead to uh, evaluating people and finding uh, players in, in those countries uh, nearby that aren't being um, utilized right now. So scouting could help creating uh, different positions for people right. like in during the season, someone who just does the scouting and looking for players and, and uh, shopping his guys around. It'd be interesting. Um, let's talk about Burano. Uh, you threw some numbers in this and it, we knew it was a mistake. They've been ripped to pieces for not selling Pirano, um, Mm -hmm. reported by you $40,000 offer with incentives up to 125,000. That is putting actual concrete numbers. We're talking about establishing, uh, the market. Those are concrete numbers for someone who's a very good player in USL championship that is worthy of MLS. We know that because he just went to Portugal's first division. Right. Uh, this is amazing. And that's a high number higher than I even expected, though. He is an amazing talent. Right. And and it's not necessarily even that $125,000 is like an, like a, a number you can't imagine. But when you look at uh, USL players who have moved upward, uh, I mean, 
there aren't that many. You're looking at, you know, Brian Anunga, for example, went mm-hmm. from Charleston to Nashville for $50,000 all in. Okay. And, and like, that's, that's kind of like, I don't know if that's necessarily the record. I think that there might've been some other movement that, that maybe has eclipsed that, but like Tyler Pasher, $30,000 up front, up to 50. Um, these are all numbers that I've reported out. These are never announced. So, I mean, if, if you believe my reporting, believe these numbers, if you don't believe my reporting, then let's talk. Um, <laughs> Alvin Jones to Rail Salt Lake for $10,000. Mark Anthony K for $35,000. Crazy. Ridiculous. Like these are not these are not numbers that you and I would struggle to imagine, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're not talking about the astronomical fees or like the Alfonso Davies sell-on clauses and all of this sorts of stuff. Um, but what it is, it's real money. <laughs> Even yeah. if he doesn't, these benchmarks weren't like, oh, if he wins the MVP, then sure, we'll give you $50,000. Right. Like it was attainable. It was play in X number of games, score a few goals, score, have some assists, um, you know, like these sorts of things you can bank on that player accomplishing. And so in that sense, I mean, let's say that you you look at those and say, OK, $80,000 of this is almost certain. And then the other 45 is gravy if we can get it. That's $80,000. That is like comfortably two players. Yeah, <laughs> that is um, that is. $80,000 more dollars than you would get for winning the USL championship final, <laughs> which has no prize money or the regular season, which has no prize money right now. A t-shirt um, and a medal is what Dan A t-shirt said. and a medal is all that you get for winning it. Right. Yeah. Like I, uh, and that, that might be its own article someday, actually. Why isn't there prize money in the USL? But I think that I understand the allure of winning. I really do it. And Egner says this better because he's won the USL uh, as sporting director. And it's like, I get the allure. I get that you want to do it. But if you've got that money in your hands, take it. Just just take it and believe in your ability to say, um, as Landon puts it in the article, any player at this level, and no disrespect to the player pool, is replaceable. No player here is like we couldn't possibly dream of having a player come in and do their job or or we aren't able to scout to find a replacement. Right. Like at, at that level, at the third division and the second division, you should be able to find somebody similarly because you've already done it. Yeah. And it's not necessarily like you've unearthed Messi. So at that point you might as well take the money and invest it in the next one and maybe another one too, and then continue the cycle. Because then you look at Pirano and let's say he comes off, it's a $90,000 ultimately before he moves on. And people are calling about Jose Gallegos, which they mm-hmm. will be if they're and they are already or Leo Torres in four years or three years or however long. Cause he's the child um, at that point. Then you say, okay, well, Pirano was this, we think that he's going to be as good, if not better. You're starting, you're starting now at $75,000 and our incentives build off of that. Mm-hmm. And they can't argue it because they've already had that track record. And instead, what has happened is they sat on Pirano. They could not have foreseen in their defense that they would not have a playoff run with fans. They mm-hmm. could not have foreseen that they would not have that additional revenue. But at that point, you're like $15 tickets, 4,000 fans, that's $6,000 a game. So it's it, it doesn't come close to adding up unless suddenly this becomes March Madness and it's like an eight round tournament. Um, so that's lost money. They end up losing in the first round in New Mexico. Again, like not many fans. You couldn't control that. Um, and then the player leaves for free to a better league than Major League Soccer. And so the optics of that, you want to be able to say, congratulations, Christian, on your uh, progression. Look how you came through, you know, the Boca Academy, the River Plate Academy. 
USL championship landed you on Liga NOS's radar. That's fantastic. You didn't get anything for that. Yeah. And, and, and it was so avoidable uh, that I have gotten more calls from within the USL circle at the club mm. level. So I'm talking about coaches and sporting directors and whatever about that transfer, wondering what happened than probably anything that's happened in the USL um, over the last two and a half years. Because they're like, in our situation, how do you turn that down? You just, yeah. you can't. So, um, and, yeah. and to put all that together, it's like, you mentioned that there's five people that didn't go to college, five players that didn't go to college in the United States that are from that general area, from South America, Central America yeah. in the okay. USL championship. So again, scouting. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like um, Okumu was free, free transfer. Pirano, right. I think was a free transfer, right? Yes, he was. So that's, all profit, except for the salary, of course. It's all profit. Tell right. me, winning USL championship, is that going to, are the ticket sale increase and the merch sale increase going to equal $50,000, $60,000, dollars $80,000? I think you okay. and I are landing on a point that GMs in the USL even need to learn now, or maybe they have all learned now, thanks right. to San Antonio, that winning doesn't matter as much as selling a player on. And on top of that, the last thing I'll say is that American fans are getting smarter about soccer. Yeah. We enjoy selling players on. It's becoming a thing in our country, finally, right? And, and oh, maybe it's just much. a nerdy. A yeah, maybe it's just a nerdy a thing point. right now. But I think most soccer fans are getting smart enough to like that, and they're gonna buy some tickets to see the next sale of San Antonio FC, which is Gallegos right now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Who won MLS Cup in 2017? Off the top of your head, who won MLS Cup? But <laughs> I'm everyone, to think what year it is? <laughs> right. Exactly. It's one of Toronto or Seattle. Yeah. That's your safe guess. There was Atlanta in 2018, and since then it's been one or the other, except for the crew last year. But if you're looking at what are MLS fans most excited about, what what gets MLS Twitter just like to the moon, whatever? It's Alfonso Davies scoring a goal yeah. or winning another trophy. Like FC Dallas sending the next player over. Yeah, the next right back because it's yeah. only right backs right now. <laughs> but like these are the things that get American soccer fans excited right now. I think that. Three years ago, there was a perception issue. There was an issue that why would fans go to games if they feel like their best players are going to leave? Now, um, Red Bulls fans are very frustrated about the direction of the organization. Don't get me wrong about that. Mm -hmm. But they're very excited to see, like, Tyler Adams. Look at him. Great. Caden Clark, we get a full year to watch him before he goes to Leipzig. Fantastic. Let's watch that. That's, that sounds that, That's something that I'm interested in. We're, we're more sophisticated. We've embraced that we are a selling country. Not just a selling league in MLS terms, but a selling country. We are a place where players will develop, but if they're going to play the best soccer of their careers, they're not going to be playing usually in major league soccer. And I think that by and large, the average American soccer fan is okay with that. I think so. Like, yes, there are going to be a couple of fans who will say, um, get me my Carlos Vela, get me my player who is in their prime and just let them run for five, six, 10 years, get the Diego Valeri deal out of it. Mm -hmm. And that is what makes me happy. And that's okay. That's totally understandable. It is. But I don't think that the same perception issues about you keep selling our best young players exist that would have existed three to five years ago in this country. I think that that part has become um, accepted yeah. and encouraged, frankly. Completely agree. And we have we have a mix of both. You just mentioned Valerian and that that style of doing things. There's more than one way to uh, do this in the MLS, in MLS and in the USL. You talked about um, in your John Wolniak uh, piece, which I absolutely loves. He's such Thank an you. interesting coach. I've been wanting a piece exactly like that. So it was really fun to read. Um, but it got me thinking about different pathways and how 
where we've got this MLS two team, uh, and I just want to talk about MLS two teams in the USL, the reserve league. You know, you're gonna get me in trouble again. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I was trying to think what what got you in trouble in the first place, and I'm I'm totally fine with getting you in trouble because it's no, it's that's for me. Yeah, um, you don't care. It's your, not your <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but we have two players. I thought this was interesting to bring up. Aiden Stanley, and there's probably not just two, but these are the two that came to mind. Aiden Stanley. And um, I'm looking, losing it in my notes who the other player was. That, oh, oh Josh, Penn. Penn. Josh Penn. Yeah. So both were signed. One was uh, uh, Portland Timbers 2, uh, signed a USL contract. The other one was Indy 11, USL contract. Both got drafted in the Super Draft and are now signing with the MLS teams, which makes right. sense. We can talk about that. Just go. Tell me about that situation yeah. and how yeah. uh, the Super Draft and MLS 2 teams are, are going to be going in the future. Well, I think that there's 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 different ways to go about this. First, um, yes, there was a little bit of confusion about. So, uh, Aiden Stanley played for Timbers two last year. He had just signed a contract five days before the draft with Sporting Kansas City two. Mm-hmm. So everyone was like, okay, well, that's just going to be right. where he plays. But um, Major League Soccer has said that in any deal involving a draft eligible player or a player who is foregoing their college eligibility to sign with a USL club. So not signing an amateur contract is the best way to look at that. Like St. Louis FC had a lot of players on amateur contracts, including Aiden Stanley, actually. Um, (laughs) And so you're able to still play them. Jeremy Abobasi did the same thing with the Charleston Battery in 2016. And then Mm. they keep their their eligibility for the MLS Super Draft, which is the mechanism, like it or not, there are issues with it. There are definitely some advantages to it Mm -hmm. but that is the way that players who are not in an academy who played college soccer get into major league soccer we can revisit that another year so at this point what the what mls wants to avoid is the super draft being curtailed by players signing in the usl championship when they are also eligible for selection, there's some timeline stuff that's really interesting because like Josh Penn, for example, would not have been a graduated senior. So why was he suddenly available, but not a generation, not he does player. Yeah. <laughs> that's a question I've never been able to get answered no matter how. Okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, but I've tried. I, I will keep trying to figure so that out and I'll report it. It's a very strange situation. Like why this year and not two years from now? I have no idea. I, okay. I wish I knew, but I have no idea. Um, but with, with Stanley, what they're trying to say is you can't just sign with an MLS2 club, play for half a year, and then they magically say, we signed this guy we found in the USL. How crazy. Because that is working. That's draft dodging, I guess, to use a I very like that term. familiar term. Right. We're yeah. going to use draft dodging for this. Um, with Josh Penn, where that got interesting is he isn't with an MLS2 club. So with Aiden Stanley's case, the the shortest version of this is that there was language in his contract when he signed with Sporting Kansas City, too, that said if he is selected and offered a contract, then he has to sign with the club that drafted him and what they do with him. They might loan him back to you. You don't know that, but probably not. So Austin FC selected Aiden Stanley, and that's where it becomes contentious if he is signed. Mm -hmm. Um, With Josh Penn's case, Inter-Miami really wanted – to sign him. They drafted him in the top 10. They had that sort of belief in him. So what the clubs agreed to rather than a fee is that if Josh Penn gets loaned away from the MLS club, uh, this is again, per the athletic sources. So whatever you want to believe in it, um, he will be loaned to Indy 11 instead of Fort Lauderdale CF, which is their USL affiliate, which you probably forgot existed. Um, 
So he will be going to the second division back home to Indy if he doesn't land this year with the MLS club. Something that I haven't reported, but here you go. Um, If he doesn't come to Indy in 21, Miami will probably owe a player to Indy in 22. So, so I don't know necessarily how you're going to force that. Like, do you just say, okay, well, give us Gonzalo Higuain for five games and we're going to be very happy about this. Or do you say like, you know, like, yes, your next super draft first round pick who isn't landing. We are, we have the right of first refusal on any player before you send them to Fort Lauderdale, where if we say, actually, we like that guy, we get that player for 22. They'll have to figure that out. I'm sure. Um, And that's stuff that would never quite get to my radar, but um, yes, there will be a player going from Miami, whether it's most likely Josh Penn or not. Um, it just kind of depends on how training camp goes and how many old Europeans uh, David Beckham <laughs> brings in. So. Right. Yes. Enter Miami. Having fun down there. Uh, yeah. What about what about you, uh, MLS two teams? Uh, do you think they're going to stay? Do you think they're not? How do you? I, I guess you may or yeah. may not be able to say that, but how do you feel about it after you've ruminated on it for a little I while? I think. Yeah. I, I think that there's. I, I stand by. So I haven't listened back, to be fair. But I I stand by, I tend to stand by what I say on shows like yours and others. Um, I do think that there will always continue to be some competitive merit. I do think that there is an imbalance in terms of, um, I understand on the the advertising side, whether it's in terms of what games you would give big ESPN or ESPN2 or Deportes or whatever, you aren't going to want to show them an empty Red Bull arena. I wouldn't either. Um, But it's in terms of, when are you excited about the players who came through the academy ranks? When are you excited about Alfonso Davies? Like, are you going to be able to promote that? What about uh, Brian Brown, who was, you know, playing abroad for a couple of years? What about Josh Cohen? I don't see a ton about him necessarily from USL channels. Um, But I think that the bigger issue here, it has nothing really to do with how the league is promoted. I I think that it's more about, again, the competitive balance, what's best for the development of the country, what's best for the development of the sport in the country, not the development of the country, which uh, soccer will not fix, no matter how hard I try. Um, I, I think that there's still more good than harm that comes from MLS2 clubs. Um, and it's not just by saying your favorite independent club is pretty much always going to win those games. That's not what I mean when I'm saying that, you know, it's for the best. What it is, is that you are able to actually showcase young talent. You are getting some scouts of MLS clubs or clubs abroad who are watching your game specifically because they're interested in Caden Clark mm-hmm. and who do Red Bull, who does Red Bulls two play that weekend? Oh, Hartford. Okay. Well, I guess I'm watching Hartford too. Yeah. Uh, what is this team up to? Like you have some built in eyes on a sporting business side purely because you have the MLS affiliates. Um, your mileage may vary in terms of which affiliates are doing this best. Uh, not everyone runs it like Red Bulls or Monarchs. Um, there are certainly some that haven't kept up with where the league is going. And I think that those clubs will find their level eventually, whether that is League One or the Reserves League, which now looks likely to come in 2022. Um, wow. So I, I think that it, that partnership it's still so well, it's, it it is now so kind of fluid. There are so many elements of it that have to be figured out year to year um, as the, the roster of clubs changes as well. 
Um, but I think that both leagues have benefited. I think that it stabilized the USL and gave it the launching pad where it was able to eclipse the NASL and become the second division of US soccer in, uh, in the men's side of the game. Um, it gave them by proxy the ability to start a third division league because they left that space of the pyramid. And so they had an open territory and so they yeah. created their own. It has been very good for the USL on a business side from a sporting side. You've had champions. You've had yeah. uh, you've had U.S. men's national team players. You have plenty of national team players in Concacaf actually come through the USL Championship. That is good. That is the kind of thing you should want to showcase. Um, so I, I think that yes, there are still some clubs that again have not kept up. They're not nearly as exciting to watch as even um, you know a couple of independent clubs that have been around for five years and aren't necessarily the the what's new factor, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that they still add more to the league than they take from it. So just don't put them on your national broadcast most of the time, unless they're on the road. Uh, And then you're probably good to go from that point. Yeah. I almost want to like purposefully hide them. I think that's what I would do. And I mean, what do they care? They don't care. That's what they tried to be fair. Like when the the 2020 schedule came out in January of last year, um, there were no MLS affiliates on it. Right. Like there was, um, there was some Colorado Springs games, I think, on the road, and that was like a kind of affiliate. But other than that, I'm pretty sure that what I do remember for certain, actually, is that Real Monarchs, the defending champions, were not going to be on ESPN2, ESPN News, or ESPN Deportes that mm-hmm. following season, um, which seemed very bizarre to me. But like you said, let keep, keep them playing out of sight. And, and the people who are watching it purely for the soccer and the young players will still find them because of ESPN plus. So yeah. they're still there. Right. But if you're looking for what I'm going to showcase, like, look, eventually it's going to kind of look like Louisville or Colorado Springs and some of these new stadiums are just going to be hosting every single game. Right. And you're just going to keep showing your best stadiums and that's fair. Um, but you know, they, yeah. they are still adding to the league ecosystem by being part of the USL. As usual, I pretty much always uh, devil's advocate. And so, um, you know, last time I was saying how I kind of evolved on this situation and I have, and I think what the USL didn't foresee is I'm realizing as you're talking and, and what we said earlier is that we just, the USL didn't foresee probably how much Americans were going to jump on board with player development and selling p- kids abroad. Right. MLS right. two teams are the best at that. The Just because they get a better chance alone means they're going to move up faster. And so that is something that's going to get eyes in the future. And so I think when they were pushing out MLS2 teams, what was that, two years ago, something like that? It was going to ago? be, yeah. The, the the target year was going to be 2021, funny enough. Okay. But, you know. but I mean, it, it just wasn't a thing then. It's a very new thing. And so now, like, I think that's part of why I've come around to enjoying them. And I do think it is good for our national team to give – Independent teams aren't giving 15, 16, 17-year-olds like Tyler Adams was uh, a chance. Uh, And thank God Red Bulls 2 was there to do that because now look what's happening to our national team. So, you know, those are some of the reasons, devil's advocate again, I've actually started to like it. But the fan thing is never going to be fun. It's never going to be good. It's never going to be okay in my book in a lot of ways if you're not even trying Um, and so I'm still going to complain about that, but at the same time, there are some good signs. And so here yeah. we are. We just got right. USL championship. And I will admit this too, by the way, like the, because this is actually something that I've gotten asked increasingly is how do you keep up with a, a league this large and also keep up with Major League Soccer? And and what it ends up being is I have to choose some kind of anchor clubs. And so sometimes these are your best clubs. Like I watch a lot of Phoenix Absolutely. Rising. 
I watch a lot of Louisville City. I watch a lot of Tampa Bay Rowdies, right? But El Paso Locomotive is another team I watch a lot of. Um, but then you're also like choosing specifically which opponent haven't I seen recently so that I'm able to yes. eventually cover the entire league. So like, I'm not watching home games. Exactly what board. I do. Like I'm not watching these USL two teams, or these MLS two teams, like at their home stadiums. I'm never yeah. watching these games. Um, I'm much more inclined to even watch like a game at OKC in a high school football stadium or like uh, when Reno was at a baseball stadium. Like I will still watch those over mm-hmm. like a soccer specific stadium with no fans. Um, and that is going to be even more the case after this full year of watching so many games without fans. I'm just going to continue to want the crowd and see like, yes, that's how this influences the game. How crazy is that? Like you all matter um, because we do, we all do. Right. Um, so yes, I, I think that there is still, that is if your biggest issue with these clubs existing is that they don't bring fans and don't care that they don't bring fans that shouldn't be your problem. That should be their problem economically. Hmm. Maybe that's a good way to frame it. Yeah. 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 Um, Though you are welcome to feel that way and complain about it on Twitter. Absolutely. As we do. Uh, Let's talk about the open cup because we want to talk about fans. We want to talk about excitement. We want to talk about something MLS two teams are not a part of actually us open cup is perfect. Uh, It's coming back. And we were talking about on our last episode, Ryan uh, mentioned that USL teams, just as many as MLS teams, eight and eight, mm-hmm. only five games to win to become the champion of the U.S. Open Cup. This might be the best year for a USL Championship club to mm-hmm. go um, to CONCACAF Champions League legally. Legally, right. That's legally. right. Uh, you can force your way in uh, by a coup, <laughs> but those never go well. Um, no, I, I think that there's there's definitely a chance. And I like that seeing the breakdown, I liked seeing that it wasn't MLS skewed. That it wasn't like we're going to yeah. have like, you know, a 32 team tournament, 16 are coming from MLS, MLS, eight are coming from championship and the other eight are coming from League One, NISA and the fourth tier. Right. Like that would have been very easy for them to do. That would have had better teams in theory. Um, but I, I like that it is more skewed against MLS this year for once. I think that that is going to be very good. That makes the competition more watchable, frankly, to soccer nerds. Mm-hmm. Um, the tournament has never been for casual sports fans, if we're being completely honest. Like that is mm-hmm. not going to be a ratings bonanza for your NFL fans in the offseason who are just kind of curious what the soccer thing's about. They're not watching the U.S. Open Cup. They're watching Major League Soccer. So I, I think that that's good. I do wish that there was a little more representation of the third tier. I, again, now we're getting into the nitpicky stuff, right? Like the, 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 the games I enjoy the most are when you have an, uh, an amateur or pro-am club in the fourth tier of American soccer who are hosting a club in the third, second, or first division, right? Like I, I think about in 2019, the best game I watched was Des Moines Menace hosting St. Louis FC. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a game that went to penalties and it was just like this incredible, like I've tweeted the video so many times, but like of, of fans who are literally five feet away, which feels disgusting these days, <laughs> but like from the corner kick taker, Lewis Hilton and like yelling in his ear, like, Hey, you didn't outswing your last time and it didn't work. Try an inswinger and like heckling them so close. And it's like, you couldn't get away with this in any other part of the country. And yeah. It's amazing. And that's why I love this sport so much. Right. But <laughs> Uh, I wish that there was more of that. I do wish that you had, you know, like they're going to do play in rounds out of sight mostly, but like, I wish that all of those clubs that had qualified in 2019 for the 2020 tournament, which was scrapped would be able to enter the full tournament. But yeah, with how many different competitions are playing catch up in 2021, when you're looking at world cup qualifiers, when you're looking at the gold cup, 
when you're looking at the Nations League or what the League's Cup, whatever that thing is called that MLS competes in with Liga MX, um, like you need to just condense it, say we can play it over the span of X number of weeks and move on. Like at a certain yeah. point, you just need to get it out of the way to keep momentum going. Um so it's not all aces for the lower divisions, unfortunately, but it is definitely a format that should be more navigable, maybe, for a club who's wanting to be the first lower division club to win since the Rochester Raging Rhinos in 99. Yep. Yep. The golden year. I love it. Uh, let's talk about CONCACAF Champions League. Um, I'm already forgetting who... who uh, tweeted that out but the fact that someone asked the head of CONCACAF I'm blanking on his name right now but that he whether the USL would get entry in any form or fashion this time around I don't know about the future and he was like no CONCACAF Champions League is or sorry US Open Cup is the only way to do it so now we know and now we can complain about it um, maybe you can talk about how that might be a possibility in the future because there's rumors around so I don't know if you have anything to yeah that, yeah that's true uh you should just win the open cup <laughs> so my thing though is i have tremendous belief and support of the second division of american soccer i think that that's been pretty well documented over the last five six years of my coverage um second divisions shouldn't be entered in champions leagues second division shouldn't be entered in Sec in the the secondary tier, the Concacaf League, even mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say that too. Oh, um, really? Because that was well, that was the next conversation, right? Is you look at yeah. it and you're like, okay, well, let, how do we have all these spots? Like, look at what happened with Forge and the CPL. Like, that was incredible. Like, why can't we have that too? Um, pick a country, Kazakhstan. Okay, that it's not as good of a first division as. Um, I might have picked a bad example here, actually. No, I didn't. Uh, compared to the championship, the EFL championship, yeah. the original championship. Right. But the championship doesn't have a single spot <laughs> to be getting into the Europa League. Like, it's a second division league. And, like, I'm sorry, like, I think that it is something aspirational. It is something that every club should want to win the U.S. Open Cup already. That is another reason to do it. Yeah. Imagine the potential if you are suddenly hosting uh, Club America at your stadium. Tremendous. Phenomenal. Like you should absolutely be aiming for that. But if you're going to grow the CONCACAF League, which needs to grow eventually, um, I think you're doing it through MLS. I think that you're doing it through Liga Mekis. I think you're doing it through, um, uh, you know, because right now it is very much focused on the rest of CONCACAF, right? And is is trying to give opportunities for Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Panama, some of these countries that don't have the same presence when you're looking at uh, qualification for the CONCACAF Champions League or qualification, frankly, for uh, the HEX. And as you're looking for how do we make this more robust, how do we bring more of these teams to light, uh, you create the equivalent of the Europa League. And that's how I view that league. I view the CONCACAF League as the Europa League for CONCACAF, which makes total sense because Europa is the league for UEFA, yeah, which is Europe. So then I'm looking at it as, okay, it's not the NIT, but it is another continental trophy. And I don't think, unless you're going to be, well, okay, so then maybe my other question is, if you're going to put one team in from the USL Championship, maybe it's the league finalist or the, the, the champion, and don't ask me how you would have figured that out in 2020, are you then also putting in Liga de Expansión MX, 
the second division that was established yeah. um, where there's no pro route. Like you would need to put in at least one club from that or one to match every USL championship club that you in, invite into this tournament. And maybe that's a step that you take. Um, but if you're going to do that, you can't only have the USL championship, even if it is further along in its development and its establishment than the new second division of Mexican soccer. No, I totally agree with that. And I, I would say too, that I would almost argue, and, and this is a lot of people aren't going to like this, but your example about EFL championship, I would argue that they would do fine in Europa. Like six oh, they would months do totally this fine. year. Right. And yeah. maybe they deserve a, a bid into that, that competition. And so, yeah, I would say expand CONCACAF League and in, in involve only because the talent gap is going to be, if it's not already, it's going to be pretty big. USL Championship yeah. clubs are going to end up dominating a, a competition like that, even if, you know, someone who believes maybe you, tier two champion shouldn't be part of it. You know, I think if they can compete and they can dominate it, and I think they could in that situation in the next oh, five years. There's, I have no yeah. doubt in my mind that if you're looking at Absolutely like, should I'm be a part pick of on it. the same clubs that I watch, right? Like I'm going to pick on Phoenix Rising. Phoenix Rising could win that competition. Yeah, okay. Like they're deep enough. They have a strong enough first team. Um, they've done it over a number of years where I'm not worried about their, you know, their, their tactical format or whatever. Like Phoenix Rising could probably win that tournament. The difference, though, is that what is that tournament for? Is it necessarily just another thing to have hmm. random clubs from across the region come together? Or is this your incentive for Belize to say, like, hey, if you win the the, the league in Belize, like, uh, there's something that comes with that besides domestic glory. Like, you are playing yeah. for something. Um, if you start taking away spots for um, Nicaragua, and if you're saying like being the champion of Nicaragua, Nicaragua, that's great. But it's it's the same as winning the second division. And I know oh, there's totally. no parallel in this country. So we think of it so differently because we're not thinking about, okay, well, then that club would just get promoted, right? Like right. We need, we're trying to find what is the additional benefit of winning this league. And that's fair. Like that still needs to be established. But um, I think it's a showcase for the best teams in these oh, I'm countries. with you. Yeah, and the I misunderstood because I think oh, Champions yeah, yeah. League, CONCACAF Champions League, I agree with you. USL should not be a part of it unless they win the Open Cup. I totally agree. But I think the conversation needs to definitely be give them something else. Mm-hmm. And, and not just for what you said, where we won our league, we deserve a place somewhere. I want to know where my league matches up and my league being the championship. Right. I want to know how they match up against the rest of the Caribbean and Central America. And maybe the winner of that competition gets a bid into Champions League, you know, maybe. Uh, But at least give me something like, how do we fare against Jamaican teams? And I want to know there's no other competition for it and we can't get promoted, you know. Yep. Something needs to be there. For sure. That that is how soccer is set up in this country. Right. (laughs) There are some serious setbacks at various points of it but it is working as it was designed. And I, I think that there is <laughs> no, the it is, part. That's the it worst is the worst part. part. Like this, this is exactly how it was supposed to look. The mm. difference though is again, what is the CONCACAF league? And if you're going to tell me it is the Europa league, but for CONCACAF, which is what I view it as until I'm told otherwise, um, I only want first division clubs there. And I don't care if it's a country mm. that, uh, you know, I'm not familiar with their league. I'm not familiar with their clubs. I would rather watch the champion of the best, 
like the, the best team from Nicaragua. I would rather watch that if I am just like trying to uh, like size up the federation um, rather than try to play. Yeah, well, we don't have pro well, so this is the best we can do, um, which is the case, by the way, now for the next five years in Mexico as well. Um, I I just I don't see a compelling reason to do that. Right. Like, I, again, if you're purely saying I want the best teams possible please throw in the USL championship. But if you want the best teams possible, frankly, they're going to just choose more clubs from MLS yeah. or more clubs from Liga Amekis. Like they're not going to choose the second division at a certain point if they're building this thing out involving North America more. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sucks, right? Like this is where we're just kind of in this like limbo of, okay, well, how do you actually assess this league? And this is something that the championship, the USL championship is going through right now is like, where are we? Like, how do we stack up with other second divisions? How do we stack yeah. up with some first divisions now? Because Frank, they're in the conversation now. They weren't three years ago. Um, but I don't think continental soccer is the way that they're going to be able to go about that. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say about that is that I'm also curious about how it would help. And this is this is actually what they should argue as far as business and money is concerned within CONCACAF is if we get USL championship teams in a competition against all these random countries, it gives them another chance to scout. It gives them a reason to send right. their dollars to Virgin Islands or Nicaragua a little more often. And so yeah. there's an argument for the CONCACAF committee to let them in for money reasons. You know what I mean? Right. And MLS isn't the only ones with dollars, you know, mm-hmm. 10, 20, $50,000 is a lot to someone in Nicaraguan first league. And so, oh, by someone, the way, sorry, yeah, by the way, if there's prize money in the CONCACAF league and a USL championships allowed in it, like if they are allowed one or two spots in it, you can't tell me that's not the full focus of that team until that competition ends. If they can yep. get actual prize money from this and you could win the, again, like the equivalent of Europa, that is it. Like you're going to have some rotated squads as much as you can do at this level um, mm-hmm. in the regular season. Like you're going to be punting on some of those games for travel trips, whatever it means like that. It would be the full focus. If there was suddenly incentive to get prize money. Um, I'm telling you that's what I necessary. want. It'd yeah. be a lot of fun, uh, but let's move on. If we could go on that all day for sure. Uh, let's talk I about go on with a lot of things to be fair. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's so a problem. Cool. I'm locked down. What's better to do than just talk soccer with, good company so, i agree if we yeah. were in a bar and we had had three beers which in we've us, been we've been in a bar that's yeah. true <laughs> but imagine us talking about that late at night with three beers in us i'd be getting loud and red in the face for sure right. it'd be a lot of fun right. to be fair that was a tequila soda so oh nice to be fair <laughs> in fact i might make another but anyway keep going please do well i wish we could uh hand one over digitally through this video here uh yeah. let's talk expansion though let's start with the good and we'll end on the bad uh, USL Pro Iowa 2023. These are all hopefuls, right? Rhode yep. Island 2023, yep. Queensboro 2022. That seems pretty solid, probably. Um, these three yeah. clubs look pretty cool. Pro yeah. Iowa has my favorite stadium. The stadium looks awesome. Um, oh, what do you think about yeah. those clubs? I, yeah, I, I think that I'm very interested in what has been the continued growth and investment in New England. Um, For whatever reason, pro soccer in America expansion goes in regions. Um, First part of the 2010s was the Pacific Northwest. Uh, The second half of the 2010s was the Southeast. It looks like we've moved on to the Northeast. And I can't wait till it gets to the Midwest because... (laughs) My travel budget would thank me if I could actually drive to some of these games. Um, But I I think that 
it is interesting to see, you know, because there's been one team there up until, you know, Hartford Athletic where they're called New England, but they're Boston. Mm-hmm. Right. Like like the revolution are not representing Maine, for okay. example. So then put a team in Portland, Maine in the third division and see how it goes. Put a team in uh, Rhode Island in Pawtucket and let's see how it goes. Um, like. It's great. I think that that's that's a fantastic growth. I think that there is some serious concentrated effort into growing it out in that region because there are so many people. There's so much capital, frankly. Those are some of the the wealthier per capita states in the country. Um, Like, go for it. I think that's awesome. Um, I think that the more road trips you can allow soccer fans in this country to have where you can hit like three or four different clubs over a week and not, not have an issue with it, except for the scheduling of games, the better. I think that that's, that's a great way to be able to grow yeah. this game's footprint in this country. Um, so then we are at Des Moines, of course, love it. Want more of it. I want, like I could drive there in a day. <laughs> I'm super happy about it. That's like three, four hours away from me in Minneapolis. Um, Please, please, please make that club come through, Kyle Krabs. Uh, then you're looking at Queensboro, and like, look, Queensboro has had elephant in the room issues as I pour my soda mm-hmm. um, for a while now with David Villa, uh, which have largely gone on addressed, except for one club statement, which didn't go over well um, in reaction to the credible accusations of sexual harassment against David Villa went during his time in New York City FC, as reported by Pablo Maurer, uh, my colleague. Their statement was not good. Frankly, I think that that is a case where if you don't have anything productive to say, don't say it. Um, But they learned from it, I think, as far as I've understood. Um, I think that having a second division club in New York, specifically in a borough, is a fantastic idea. I think Mm -hmm. that is something that makes a ton of sense. Um, If you can build that stadium there, that's perfect. Like a 10,000 seat stadium in New York City would probably sell itself, right? Um, even just from tourists, much less your fans. Um, are they going to have an identity crisis? Are there going to be issues about having a crest that's a giant Q after what we've all gone through in 2020? Probably. <laughs> I wouldn't have done it. But what I would do then is, this is my pipe dream that I've already spoken uh, about, on, I think on Sirius XM with Jason Davis. Um, but I need this to happen. I need Queensboro to buy the branding to the New York Cosmos now that that club is on hiatus again and bring the Cosmos to Queens and build them a stadium and just call yourself the New York Cosmos. Oh my gosh, that's the best club in the world. That's my favorite club in the world is the New York Cosmos in Queens in the USL. Perfect. I love it. Um, And it just makes so much sense. You have them in an established league. You have them with their own stadium. You have them with dedicated ownership. Um, It also, if you choose to part with David Villa, if you're that club, um, Mm -hmm. quietly in the night, that's a great time to do it. (laughs) That is the fifth paragraph <laughs> of that press release. It's just saying, yeah. by the way, he's moved on to other projects. We think one sentence. Investment. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's all you need to do, and no one cares because, like, holy shit, we got the Cosmos in the USL. Everyone yeah. wins. That's how you do it. That is the that is the safest way that you're able to make that transition away. Um, I I'm hope gonna, it happens. <laughs> I'm going to tell gonna you one one problem with that happens. is that it makes too much sense, Jeff. Wait, it makes too much sense for U.S. soccer. And I said all of this stuff, too, by the way, when when Beckham was stalling or when the clock was stalling on Beckham with Miami, mm. um, I've been like, OK, well, Red Bulls doesn't want New York because they realize now that they're not New York. So just let them sell the Cosmos rights to MLS and have Beckham run the New York Cosmos Major League Soccer. That was my initial wish for the Cosmos. So I, apparently all I wish for these days is for the Cosmos to be sold to other entities. Hey. 
That's it's fine. fair. It's it's what That's I fine. want to. It's all I want is for the Cosmos to come to USL uh, or MLS would be just fine with me as well. Um, while we're on bad news, let's talk about Monterey Bay. Uh, Monterey Bay. Uh, apparently, they're coming in. I heard you say on on unused substitutes. By the way, if you haven't heard a subject talked about, it's because it was on that show probably. So go listen to that show. Uh, you were just on their show a couple a week or two ago. Uh, sure but you mentioned it. they'd be coming in probably 2023. Um, my well, 22, be, yeah, yeah. If at all, I mean, are they really going to happen? I guess if, if for Monterey, I mean, like they got the the announcement right. Like they've already done that. They had the announcement that it was Ray Beshoff still from Fresno FC, as well as possibly some other uh investors locally that there would be a stadium as part of this um didn't quite get the reaction nor the initial fanfare of oakland or some of these stadium updates from des moines or pawtucket or whatever um what what specifically do you want me to say about monterey (laughs) i don't know how much trouble you want to be in (laughs) that's why i'm asking you like like i have already tweeted some thoughts i stand by all of them um they got shared by an invest, an American investor in soccer that raised some points that were good points. Um, oh, yeah, Jordan Gardner. Go check those yeah, out. Those are good yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he said enough, to be honest. He did say enough, uh, and, and he said it well. But I, I think that there is some consternation. I'm going to choose big words here because maybe that gets me in less trouble. Uh, around the concept of an owner having completely failed in a market that looked tailor-made for American soccer being given a do-over with no additional investment. That is a very kind of strange concession to give, which other owners who maybe would have made more sense to give that concession to were not given that luxury. Um, There is some, that sound you heard was my dog saying I'm too loud and moving to his other bed. Um, there, Love it. yeah, I, I think that there's some, it's just gotta be legal, right? Because it's like, nothing makes sense unless they have a legal right that can't be worked around at this point. Well, right? you have, yeah, yeah. You have the charter, right? And when you have the franchise charter, it's, you have that until you get rid of it. Right. Like, I think that the most obvious transfers of a franchise charter in the USL have been when Orlando city went to major league soccer and sold it to Louisville City, started it kind of as like an offspring affiliate sort of thing, and then became its own independent entity very quickly um, and very successfully, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when Ottawa Fury could not get sanctioning to play in the United States ahead of 2020, which ended up being a very good thing for that club, by the way, with all of the border difficulties and the travel bans. Yeah. Um, I hadn't even thought about it until right now, but like, true. what good luck suddenly, where it's like either <laughs> you could have to be fortified up in... I don't know, Montana for a year, or you could sell it to the Miami FC. And so they did that, which was a very good piece of business in retrospect before the pandemic. Um, But other than that, it just hasn't happened a lot, right? Like there isn't necessarily the resale market um, of American soccer in general. And MLS will be involved in this. And obviously the league one hasn't seen a resale yet, but um, that's, you know, that, that, I think that there are a lot of owners who didn't look at Fresno as pushing the league for their for, forward either. I think that that was something that became an issue as Fresno's tenure went on. Um, now, the big difference, of course, this will be the litmus test of 
does having a dedicated soccer specific stadium, which is now being renovated in Monterey at that uh, California state campus. Um, is that the magic ticket where you can get over some of these other issues that were functioning at baseline expectations, but not much above with Fresno, frankly, um, they just were very smart about who they chose. Um, and, and part of that's Frankie Alla, part of that is, um, you know, the, the players that they brought in. Um, mm-hmm. Is the stadium enough? That's going to be a fascinating test of how much does a stadium matter? Um, and I'll be very curious to see what the answer is, to be fair. Like, it could be very good, right? Like, there is still a timeline where uh, Monterey makes a lot of sense. Now, it's a smaller market than Fresno. It is a more remote market. There aren't, like, airports that fly uh, more than crop dusters. I've uh, been to t- that airport. It's small. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You're the first person I've spoken. Okay, tell me about that airport. You're the first person. Is there a, a Benihana's at that airport? Um, no, no, there's absolutely <laughs> not. I don't even think there's a Starbucks. You are flying and flying. And I was on a smaller plane. I went from San Francisco, San Francisco to Monterey on a small plane, okay. uh, two props. And, uh, it's just, you see water. You're like, where's land? Where's land? Where's land? You see it and you're on the ground. You know, it, it's cool. It's fun. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful All town, right. uh, but not a big population. Um, you know, why I'm, did you fly there? You don't have to tell me this on air, but like, I am fascinated by why you flew there, but I'll get that later. Um, yeah, it's remote, right? Like it's like you said, like the, the approach I'm sure is scary, but <laughs> it's again, how are you going to get San Antonio there? Yeah. Cause they'll be in the Western conference forever. And like, do you fly into Fresno and then leave Fresno? Cause that's a little ironic if you think about it. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you do. I really don't know what you do to get close to that, to that stadium. So I think it happens. Yeah. I, I I think at this point they would, the league would have safeguarded any sort of oops that could have happened along the way by now before they made this formal announcement. The, The USL has never made a welcome to the league announcement that did not result in that club playing in the league. That has never happened. So I would guess that they are very good about vetting that. Um, whether they play in 2025, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see, right? Like we'll see, like, it's just, right. there are a lot of things about this that don't add up that make less sense than Fresno did. Um, but we'll see. And Great I points there. Yeah. I could see it happening. I love your thought about the stadium. Does the stadium make it work? Cause that would be, we could prove a lot of things here. It could be very helpful to soccer and second tier and below. Um, last topic here is the usl impact committee Mm -hmm. i am looking at the list of names here and it is so freaking good i think the usl Mm -hmm. hit a home run with this in every single way except they should have done it two years ago right (laughs) yeah but you're right like and and i would have the exact same sort of critique but i have to remind myself that like it's better to do it now than not do it agree Um, this list is amazing like like no it's it's all areas of the usl ecosystem it is all, um, I don't know, like I, I think that you, you have a lot of different vantage points. You have people who've been in the league for a while. You have people who are looking at the league with fresh eyes. Um, I, I mean that you have, like, I'm just going to read the job titles of these people. And you've heard of a fair number of these people if you follow the USL, but I won't even say their names for this. You have the Latino outreach manager, the president of a club, the chief purpose officer of a club, the head of marketing and brand of a club, the senior advisor to a club, corporate partnerships, coordinator of a club, um, senior director of corporate partnership at a club, uh, executive director 
of a foundation of a club. Like these are the kinds of people that you want to help. Like you can't just have sporting directors and owners making these decisions. Sometimes you need the people who are closer to the people, frankly, to the fans, to the players, to um, the communities in general. And so like, I think it's a fantastic outreach. I mean, like, look, we'll see, right. Like what comes of it, but I don't think anything bad can come from it. Right. Like I, uh, like you said, like it's a home run. Like it it makes, there's nothing that like is a risk with that, with the vetting. When you look at the names of these people, like I know several of these people personally, like they're very good people. Um, I'm very excited to see what comes from that because I think that um, even if you just look at the fact that there were three verbal, three cases of verbal abuse, either on the basis of racism or homophobia over the span of two seasons in that league when you haven't seen any that have been reported in um, other North American leagues in that time, mm. um, you need to do something. And and they have reacted very convincingly, I will say, um, and effectively. And of course, it's all what comes from this, right? It, it's not about announcements. It's about action. But they've set themselves up for some quality action. And I think that that's something that's very commendable. Completely agree. I do think there's one thing that can go wrong. And I just say this because I want everybody to give, you know, I I admire all these names on here. Um, I admire how they put it together, but something's going to go wrong at some point, you know, something is going to happen and everyone's just going to want to bomb the impact committee. Like they screwed up and like they didn't do their job well enough. It is going to be a thankless job and they're going to get blamed or they're not going to be mentioned. You know what I mean? So um, I hope people think about that. Um, if something does go wrong. Um, yeah. Should we start? I feel like back? we're getting about the end. So I, I have yeah. a question for you. I have a yeah. question for you. Whoa. Uh, how are you? Because I feel like when we talk about the USL show, but when we talk about in general, your coverage of the USL, and again, like all of you over at the Beautiful Game Network, I think do fantastic work to, to be able to like kind of showcase broader areas than, um, some national folks, even including myself, frankly, even how much I cover the USL, there's still blind spots. There's a lot of blind spots, inevitably. So uh, credit to all of you. But um, you lost your club this year. Mm. And and I know that you've been able to talk about that in the moment, right? Like, I'm sure that there were reactions when, like, I put out the initial report that it was 90% likely and then and the aftermath and all this stuff. But, like, as you hear announcements in like, you know, May, the sport's coming back and the regular season will kick off and here's our playoff format. And, oh, should we get into CONCACAF leap or not, right? Like, you don't necessarily have the same skin in it this year. Like, how, as you're looking at this coming year in the future, um, how are you feeling about your place without St. Louis FC? Uh, I hate it. I, especially yeah, now I, that it's pushed back to 2023. I mean, it's killed me. And, and we were talking before the show about how even – two of our amateur clubs are not going to play this year. So now we're, yeah. we've added one in St. Louis or Scott Gallagher um, added um, a USL league two team. Right. So um, they'll be taking the place of the Lions that aren't playing this year, but we have a UPSL team and um, I'm rooting for them in the open or I, I guess I'm not rooting for them in the open cup. Right. Gosh, but at least I have live yeah. soccer to watch and I've got, um, you know, some of these players, sometimes Josh Sargent played on the last U23 entity that came out of Scott Gallagher. So, you know, there's people to root for. There's hopes and dreams to be had here, but um, USL championship was something special. People showed up 
It's a beautiful stadium. Got to play some amazing games against MLS clubs in the Open Cup. Uh, a lot of good playoff games and games to get us into the playoffs that knocked us out of the playoffs. A lot of memories. And um, yeah. Oh, especially you know, after that last year too. Oh, how that ended. Like, Oh my gosh. It was high stakes, like six games in a row. You know? Yeah, and that's, that's like, that's a thing where usually you'd be like, we got through the first round at Hartford. We lost in the second, like next year, just wait. And there's no next year. Right. And like, this is, this is the part of the show, by the way, where if you're watching this live on YouTube, thank you. First of all, I don't know why, but second, if you still are, this might become slightly therapy. So like, if you aren't ready for this, you can tune this out. We're going to talk about clubs folding. Um, I've had a club essentially fold. The the last American soccer club I truly supported was Minnesota United in the NASL. And when they went to MLS, like I was like, look, I want to do this for a living. Like I, I basically worked my way to a homegrown contract at the Athletic. Um, <laughs> like I am going to have to not be a fan of the new club. And it's very easy to do. And you'll find this too, because it's like a new coach, new identity. Like, yes, the name was the same with Minnesota United's case, but everything else was different yeah. except for five players. So it, it'll be very easy to make that transition. But watching like the last regular season game naturally at home to the New York Cosmos, because that's how the fates work. Um, and it was a one zero loss. Cause that's how the fates Ooh. work. Uh, but like you, you go through this and you're just like, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like that's it. Like you just, there's, there's no, it, you don't take the time to truly like decompress in the moment. Like it all has to come after. Cause that's how soccer works. Right. Like no one's ever like, just at peace going to a soccer game. That's not a emotion that exists for most of us. Um, but I, I feel like it's, it, it must be strange to continue because I took a little bit of a hiatus. I didn't really cover 2017 lower division. I was all in on MLS as I made that transition and then kind of circled back midway through 2018. And ever since I've been focusing on the second division more, um, but there's gotta be something that's just kind of, bizarre about continuing to cover this league steamroll business as usual, knowing that your club is no longer part of this. Like it's amazing how numb so many of us covering this sport have gotten to clubs folding. Like it's crazy. If you really think about it, just like, we're just like, Oh, Reno. Yeah, they were good. Moving on. Like, and that's it. That's all yeah. Reno really got for the most part. It was like a day of people being like, oh man, like, okay, well, where's Ian Russell going to go? Where are all these players going to go? Right. Like it's incredible. Or like St. Louis, like it was an amazing tribute video put out by the league or like Sam Fink put out some tremendous statements and, and Pat Barry as well. And like um, Steve Trisha, like all of these people have said the right things, but we move on. And it's, it's, uh, you know, focus on Queensboro, yep. focus on Monterey, focus on Oakland, focus on like, okay, who cares? But here's what's new. And like, I can't think of another league ecosystem. And I'm not just talking the United States. I'm not just talking soccer either. Like I'm thinking like minor league baseball, like the, the amount of hand wringing and sadness over teams folding or losing their affiliations and towns no longer having that summer ticket available. Like, I don't think that's really replicated right now in soccer. And it bums me out because every year since 2014 is as far back as I got before I just got depressed about it. There have been at least two or three clubs folding in the second division of American soccer every single year. Like I'm, I have it on a notepad. And again, this is a bummer of a notepad, but here we are. Um, 
Clubs that have folded, 2015, the Austin Aztecs, 2016, FC Montreal, Wilmington Hammerheads, 2017, uh, Vancouver Whitecaps, two, Rochester Rhinos, Orlando, two, 2018, Penn FC, Richmond mm. put themselves in the third division, Toronto FC, two, relegated. And again, like some of these, of course, are going to be affiliates, but then you get to 2019, Ottawa Fury, Fresno FC, 2020, Toronto CF2, Toronto FC, two, actually folding. Um, or actually taking the season off. You've got Philly, too, deciding to opt out of the league. You've got Reno, St. Louis, North Carolina FC moving to the third division in a fully developmental route, which I think they're going to be great at with John Bradford. Um, But, like, that is so much over the span of seven years, and we haven't even talked about the NASL. So then you're not even considering like the Cosmos going on hiatus two different times. You're not talking about Miami going on hiatus for a year. Jacksonville Armada is still somewhere in the ether. Puerto Rico FC in the ether. San Francisco Delta is winning the title and then folding after one year. Um, it sucks, man. <laughs> like it yeah. really does suck. And like when you think of how many different like club employees, fans, whatever, I know this has just become a rant, but like it's a good one. It's hard. It really is, especially as someone who, like, I don't know, I put a lot of energy into, like, trying to showcase why the the second division of American soccer and eventually the third division are so worth focusing on. But, like, there's been so much focus on expansion that I feel like the the actual contraction side of it has been um, muted uh, with its actual impact. I completely agree. Uh, You know, I'm so close to it. And a lot of people here in St. Louis are freaking out and wringing their hands. I mean, it is, it is a mess out here in some ways, but it is kind of like a a loud minority because the other thing is going to be so exciting. There's so many more people coming in, but it is, you listed those clubs and we, we don't even think about most of them. Um, maybe once a year we think about someone like the Jacksonville Armada and wish they'd come back. And I, I do wish they'd come back, but they're gone. And, and it's, it's, it's making me realize that like American soccer, the second tier of American soccer in a good situation is a very new thing. It is so freaking new. Triple A mm. baseball has been around probably what, maybe a hundred years now. Right. Right. right uh, maybe more. Yeah. yeah. So like, it is such a new thing and we have these clubs that just aren't stable and they're folding and we're just getting used to it. I completely mm-hmm. agree with you. A lot of people losing their jobs, a lot of players on sign. I'm thinking about St. Louis FC players. A lot of really quality players have nowhere right, right now. I've seen a couple of them like, Hey, when you see it on Twitter is when it hurts the most. Right. Right. Like, Hey, I'm looking for a team. Or you'll, yeah. Or you'll see like uh Steven Miller played so long for the Railhawks and for North Carolina FC, like announcing like so weird what are your choices? Like you leave where you've lived for seven years and play at the same level and have to readjust or you just move on. And like, those are good legs or like when the NASL that off season going into the 2018 season, that's actually, if, if I remember where my head was at, that's why I stopped covering it for a while is it was just like bleak, like seeing like Ryan Richter at 28 years old, this right, like an incredible right back for like New York Cosmos just being like, no, I'm just going to coach because at least there's a job there and I know I'll have it for two years. And it's like, yeah, yeah you've got to do that at a certain point. Um, it's tough, man. It is, it is really tough. Or like seeing like, uh, um, no, nah, I, I mean, I can keep saying names, right. But like, yeah, no, I, I think that that's all part of this still. And, and you look at it and it's like, yeah, triple A baseball took some establishment. But if I'm looking at like, what is going to be the benchmark that I think showcases, um, how successful the second division currently is in the moment of U.S. soccer. Um, it's not going to be when more clubs join. 
it's not going to be when this stadium is built. It's going to be when clubs stop folding. Yeah. And that's, that's why, by the way, like I think the CBA is so invaluable, mm-hmm. not just for the players. Of course it is for the players, but it is for the league because it ensures that all of its clubs are meeting these baseline requirements that imply we are a club that will be around for at least two more years. Yeah. And then that, that second year kind of like, it's like a stepping stone thing where that becomes a third and a fourth and a fifth, because you know that they're operating the way successful clubs operate. Mm-hmm. You know that they are not in a tailspin that ends with a blaze of glory. You know that those are avoidable because you've established that. That's why the CBA is so crucial. Um, and I know we didn't really get to talk about it too much this time because it's still kind of in the works and hush hush. But I will also say, when you compare it with how loudly the MLS negotiations were, you should yeah. be feeling pretty good about how quiet the USL negotiations are, because that means things are going at a pretty happy rate. Um, but man, that's, that's why it matters because when clubs stop folding, that's when everything feels more stable. Um, and when things are more stable, that's when you're actually able to grow. And you can make uh, maybe better arguments about CONCACAF Champions League. Right. 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 (laughs) Finally, finally, you're like, okay, well, you didn't have two clubs fold. So yeah, we'll consider it. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, Exactly. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for talking uh, to us today. Oh, also, Alan Underwood said that minor league baseball started in 1901. So 120 years. Wow. Our mental math is at the same rate. That's good. Yes. <laughs> That's why we can hang. We're, we're mentally, we can hang with That's each other. Why. That's why we can hang. <laughs> but uh, I want to thank Alan for uh, signing on. Winston Ransom, Ransom was on for a while. Kubica-esque. Um, Harry, of course, signed on. So thank you guys for listening, even if it was just partial and uh, contributing um, comments. It was mostly comments and conversation, but uh, mostly again, Jeff, thanks to you. Thanks yes. for your writing. Enjoy it every day, man. Anytime, man. And uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff Ruder. I don't hate your club. I don't. I promise. (laughs) I don't. Whoever you are, I don't hate your club. (laughs) All right, everybody. Have a good one. We'll talk to you next time.